When you're adding your waste into the bin, um, there's a natural population of bacteria which, you know, as they break down the waste, they produce heat as a byproduct, and this literally insulates all that waste. Welcome to episode 8 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elfrick, a gardener from Gloucestershire, and in this episode I'm talking to people at the Garden Press event that was held in Islington, London last month. Over 160 exhibitors attend and show off their horticultural products to garden writers, journalists, podcasters and bloggers. I spoke to a few that caught my eye, so you'll hear about some unique and rather good-looking garden lighting a woven willow product that looks stunning grown in a pot, an extra hot and efficient composting system, a vegetable growing system from down under, and a range of pest deterrents that do their job without disrupting natural food chains or ecosystems. One company that wasn't there but can't go without a mention is the lovely sponsors of this show, mywindowbox.com. They offer a wide range of period and modern style window boxes in aluminium and steel, with drop-in or freestanding troughs to match. Please, if you can, find some time to take a look at their website at mywindowbox.com and bring the garden to your window. Let's get on with the show and head up to Islington. We're in the beautiful old horticultural halls, now the Business Design Centre. I start the day by talking to Joanna from Stone Globe Lights. Uh, Tell me about your company, Joanna. The first thing that caught my eye is you've got a... A poster on the wall uh, with your product at Le Manoir au Quatre Saisons, somewhere right. where I worked many years ago. Yeah, that was del- I'm delighted about that. The um, lighting director saw a feature on the Stone Globe lights in House and Garden, and showed this to Raymond Blanc, and they thought this might be the, the answer. So as a consequence, there are I think about ten of them there on their pillars. Um, they're nice because they don't, they're not too bright. They're ambient lighting, so they don't distract, but they illuminate enough for people to see the way. And So they're great there. They're also good on the ground, say, down paths or in borders. Now, you, you mentioned that ambient light. I think that's very important. I've worked at a, a large house before now where they had uh, lights along the paving, but all they served to do was shine up in your face and actually make you blind to what was underfoot rather than helping you see where you were going so I think this is probably a very good idea. Now this is your little baby isn't it? You've, it is you, you've created this from the start so just describe what we've got here and uh, sort of the, the, the options that are available. The options that are available there are several options um, they come in three different sizes and depending on where you want them if you want them to go say down a, a driveway or down a pathway just to light up the way but not be in your face not to shine too brightly um, the smallest size is perfect for that, the 28 centimetre size, and they come in uh, mains voltage or 12 volt or solar. Also good on pillars or low retaining walls. You screw them directly onto the wall, and as I say, they, by day they blend in, so you can have a colour finish which matches your, your stone or your brickwork. And at night they light up and they're useful, but again, as you say, they're not too bright, not hindrance not you know don't bother the neighbours or anything like that yes yeah now I'm from the Cotswolds for instance so if I wanted to match up a limestone with it would you have something for me there we've got a limestone we've also got a bath stone Haddon stone I'm not sure if we're aware of Haddon stone Um, they asked us to create some colours in their own stone so we've created the bath stone to match their 
their bar stone, which is very like Cotswold stone, and also the Portland stone, which is a whiter, greyer one. Uh, in addition to those, we have a weathered stone, which is quite a nice sort of general colour. It's good for gardens generally, it looks sort of weathered. And then we've got a sandstone, which is slightly paler. And then we've got a limestone, which is much paler still. If you have a contemporary garden, you want something that's lighter. Yes. That's your answer. But I, have, um, I can send out samples. If you're not sure of which colour finish matches your hard landscaping, um, just get in touch and we'll send you some samples. See. Well, thank you. Now, where can people find you? Are you on the internet? We definitely are. Stone Globe Lights, www.stoneglobelights.co.uk. Made in this country. They're non-corrosive, so they don't corrode. Very good for coastal locations. Um, the UV and frost resistant. Uh, so in the deserts of Arizona or wherever, we reach really, really high temperatures. No problem at all. And frost, again, no problem. And they're IP65 rated, so we're covered, I hope, yeah. in, in every direction. <laughs> Joanna, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just opposite Joanna were some intriguing woven willow products that I'd seen a number of people walking around with. Willow Wand was the company, and this is our conversation. I'm with Simon Reed from the Willow Wand. Morning, Simon. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, now, living art for your garden. Yeah. Tell us about what you do. Absolutely. So, uh, as the name suggests, um, it's made out of willow. Nine strands of willow, which are hand-woven into a, a, a plat, effectively, but it's actually alive. And then, in horticultural terms, it, it's, we sell it mostly as a hardwood stick cutting, uh, but willow is exceptionally easy to root and grow. So, within six weeks, this beautiful stem uh, sprouts uh, a topiary top, and you just trim that to any shape or size, and then you've got this beautiful stem beneath it. Simple as that. Yes. Now, did I see somewhere on your website you can also make hedging out of it? Yeah, um, standard hedging, and then you've got a decorative stem, so you can plant them singly. We've got four, five, six different sizes, so they range in height from about 30 centimetres to over a metre, and the, the stem's fixed in height, never gets any taller. So you can plant them singly or in groups in different sizes, or of course as a hedge, a little step-over hedge or a larger standard hedge with a decorative stem. And in terms of maintenance, just a light prune every now and again? Um, yeah, you trim it like a hedge once it's established. You, um, once you're first grow, when you're first growing it, you need to disbud off the stem uh, to stop those side shoots from developing, and you only allow the top growth to develop. Um, you trim it maybe uh, after about four or six weeks, first time, and that will encourage it to send out side shoots. And then again, three or four weeks later, and then after that, you just trim it like a hedge. You literally just put a pair of shears to it or a hedge trimmer. Once it's got to the shape and size you want, just two, three times a year maximum. Yeah. Um, how does an idea like this come about? When was that moment when you saw the light bulb appeared above your head? Well, I can't take any credit for it personally <laughs> myself. It was a colleague of mine, a Danish guy called Heinrich Brown, uh, and I met him a few years ago, saw this product and realised its amazing potential as well as its obvious beauty. I mean, uh, uh, people who are listening can't see, but if you look and, and see the product, it's absolutely stunning. That stem really is absolutely breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah, it does. It does look amazing. And just to recap, so there are three sizes... Um, well, we've got four main sizes, three sizes which are available nationally uh, through garden centres and mail order. So we've got a small, which is about a 30 centimetre stem height, a medium, which is 50 centimetre stem height, and a large, which is 75 centimetres. But our extra large is actually over a metre uh, long, uh, but that's only available from selected outlets. Ah, right, OK. 
and uh, I noticed there's a trophy down there. What was uh, that for? Yes. Um, well, um, the, the event that we're at here now um, is run jointly by the Horticultural Trade uh, Association and the Garden Industry and Manu Manufacturers Association. And uh, GEMA, as it's known, run a, a competition every year for uh, best new products in various categories. And we were delighted to be this year's winner of the best new plant product. So we are current champions, if you like, of yes. the best new plant product yes. uh, in yeah. the UK. That's fantastic. So where can people find you or your company on the, on the, on the web? Yeah, well, we've got a website, um, willow1.co.uk, and um, Facebook page and usual social media. But also, um, if they go to local garden centres, particularly the chains, the bigger chains, they're stocking it, or some of the larger mail-order companies like Thompson & Morgan are, are stocking it. So basically, anywhere in the country that they happen to be, they should be able to get hold of this fairly easily now. That's brilliant, Simon. It really caught my eye. Thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks. After my conversation with Simon, I walked onto the grazers' stand. They were rather busy, so I walked on round to the cafe where members of the Garden Media Guild were holed up. Ten minutes later, Hugh Frost, who spotted my shirt disappearing past his stand, kindly found time to let me know that the scrum at grazers had calmed down and would I like to have a chat? I would indeed. I'm with Hugh Frost on the Grazers stands. Hello, Hugh. Hello. Now, Grazers, not everybody would have heard of it, but I have because I used it about five years ago. We had problems with pigeons on our brassicas. Yes. Um, I thought it did a brilliant job. Can you tell me about the other products you might have and how you apply them? Uh, yes, they, we have four ranges of products. Uh, they are the G1, G2, G3, G4, and the G1 would have been the one you'd have used on pigeons for brassicas, and that one is designed to uh, prevent rabbits, pigeon, deer from grazing various crops, brassicas, cereals, and ornamental plants. The G2 is for slugs and snails. The G3 is for cabbage white butterflies and aphids and caterpillars. And the most recent one, G4, is the red lily beetle, which we brought out in the last couple of years. I think there'll be a lot of interest in that one, won't there? Oh, well, I hope so. It's, it's, it's um, more in the southern part of the UK, of course. Uh, but having said that, there aren't many other options for trying to prevent the, the grazing of the red lily beetle. And the approach from all these products are to use a calcium chloride in different strengths and different adjuvants for different mouthpieces and plants to be able to prevent the, 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 the grazing of these pests. So are you making it unpalatable or are you making it um, physically awkward for them to eat it? Yes, it's an unpalatability okay. rather than the physicality. Yeah. There are products out there which, as you say, will put on sort of sugars and various oils and things like that and will disrupt feeding patterns or mating patterns of insects. Not at all in this case. It is very much the trying to deter them in terms of uh, giving out uh, phenolic compounds that, that interacts with the plant. So it's using a calcium chloride, a natural plant uh, fertilizer, liquid form, uh, put onto the plants, uh, misted onto the plants, and then that interaction with the plant. And it has to be interaction with the plant and the photosynthesizing part of the plant. Oh, I didn't realize that part. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, so we get asked about there being applying to stems or, or bark of trees, for instance, to stop rabbits, and, and uh, not what it's there for. It needs to be that photosynthesizing plant because that plant-mediated effect is important in the whole process. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and just to explain to people who haven't seen it, it's, a, it's in 
liquid form, isn't it? It is indeed. Liquid, yes. either ready to use or in a concentrate form. So there are various uh, liquids or, or, or container sizes for the G1 because we sell into agriculture as well and indeed into uh, bird prevention overseas into North America and to, into Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. But for the retail market, we have essentially the ready to use spray uh, canister and then a 350, 375 mil uh, concentrate, which is a more effective way, cost effective way of using it. Yeah. And where can people get hold of this product? They, they're stocked in a majority of garden centres. We're looking to try and in, increase our coverage into garden centres, but that's the place you can get them. If you can't find it in a local garden centre, it is available online through the grazers.co.uk, so it's available there as well. But largely, most garden centres have it, and we would love people to ask garden centres to stock it because really we, we need to be able to have a little bit more coverage into yeah. the local. And I think one thing I don't think we've mentioned is, of course, it is it is wildlife friendly, isn't it? You're, you're not using slug pellets that we know go, go into the food chain and get passed on to hedgehogs, etc. Indeed, that's one of the main, the USP really for the product is that it doesn't kill anything. So it doesn't kill any pests, it doesn't kill anything down the food chain at all. All you're doing is trying to dissuade them from eating your plants that you've protected and therefore they'll go off and eat something else, um, which is, might be in another one of your plants if you're not sprayed, but essentially they will go off to neighbours or, or do what they will do elsewhere. So it leaves slugs and snails available or insects available to those predators so the wildlife chain is maintained yes yeah now you've said uh, people can find you at grazers.com Co.uk, yeah. Yes, um, right. Are you on social media at all? Uh, yes, uh, Gra at Grazer's Family is uh, a Twitter feed. I don't know what we'd uh, be able to find it from there. The rest of the yes. social media, I'm not the expert on that, I'm afraid. <laughs> but yes, we're on uh, Facebook and on, uh, as I say, on Twitter as well. Brilliant. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for uh, grabbing me at the coffee shop earlier and <laughs> redirecting me. It's the least I could do. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> all right. An interesting looking raised growing system was next on my wish list, so I headed off to the VeggiePod stand, where its UK representative Neil Urry was more than happy to explain the intricacies of this popular setup from Down Under. This is something you've brought over from Australia, I believe. It is, it is. So um, we're a nine year old company from Australia. Uh, we've been here for since the Chelsea Flower Show last year, where we were um, invited over to exhibit about growing in a square metre. Ah. Okay. And I'm assuming our signature white canopy caught your eye. It did. The canopy, which sort of opens and closes like a, a pram hood, if you like. Yes. Yep. A great analogy. <laughs> so we have a hinge, so you can hinge it back, so you can easily get to your plants. Um, the canopy's a signature. Um, it's got a lot of important features. One is um, manages your climate, so it actually helps increase the, um, the temperature within your bed, okay. number one. It's a commercial grade crop cover, so then you've got all the protection. You've got the protection, also I assume it's sort of UV. UV stabilised, yes. Yeah. Um, so it's commercial. So I mentioned commercial grade. So it's from the fruit farms of northern um, Australia. Okay. So in Queensland. So it's hard to tear, hard to rip, as you can see what I'm trying to do. But it's so small that it doesn't allow sort of a cabbage moth to get in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're keeping out pests, um, but we're improving the environment within the pod and underneath this canopy of course is a what well, is a meter square um planting area is it yeah so the one you're looking at is um a meter square um which is two pods okay so if you can imagine a modular approach so cut that in half you get our smallest one which is 50 centimeters by one meter and then double 
these two, you get our largest, which is two meters by one meter, okay. which as far as we know is the biggest and largest uh, self-contained garden bed in the world. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is it? So I mentioned self-containment. So all the way at the bottom, we have a reservoir. Hold 16 liters of water and all your nutrients that is collected from your, from your compost and any fertilizer you've added. We have a wicking bed that wicks that water up to your compost. So that sits on top. So you don't drown your roots, kill yeah. your plants that way. You don't, sort of, you don't, don't have that sort of bogging going on. We have an overflow, so good question is, what happens if you get too much rain? Or you leave on our irrigation system, or you water too much, you're a bit forgetful. Overflow kicks in, so around 15 um, litres, it will start to drain away that excess water. Yes, yeah. um, now, if I could just point out for people who can't see what we're looking at, this, this is what, it's about two and a half foot off, off the ground, isn't it? It's a, it's a good working height. Yeah, so I'll say in 80 centimetres, 80, okay. in old yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is probably about the same as yeah, 800 mil for the architects listening. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, oh, I can't convert it to inches. Oh, it's, yeah, it's probably uh, 24, so that's 35 inches. Something yeah, like something that, like, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, high. And, um, yeah, so it, it's sort of the, the, the height of a, a standard worktop almost, I think, isn't it? So it's the perfect height. It is. It is the perfect height. But... If people don't need to raise it up, you know, if you've got children and other things, you can actually put it straight onto the ground. Okay. So they come, right. so it's detachable. So because it is self-contained, you're not going to get any weeds coming in. You're not going to get any pollutants. So throw it on the ground. Yes. It's nice and sturdy. Put it on the ground. Put it on a, a raised area, concrete, stones. You wish. You you build your own your own stand. Yeah. And what do people use these mainly for? Is it, is it for veggies? I mean, it's called a veggie pod. I assume it's, it's for the productive side of things. Yeah, we, we like to say anything edible, yeah. but you can put your, plant, um, your flowers in there too. Yeah. Um, because you've got the canopy and if it's closed, you know, you're not going to see beautiful flowers. Yeah. So, you know, predominantly this is for growing vegetables and herbs um, and anything edible. So like anything down to your violas. Yeah. Um, but with the depth, so we have a foot of depth. Um, so like some planters they cut in and and you lose a lot of growing space we have a full foot of depth all the way okay. across yeah. the width and the breadth of the pod so carrots to lettuce yeah bush tomatoes even vine tomatoes so our canopy is what about 80 centimeters high as well mm-hmm. uh, from bed to 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 roof so we have fun with um vined tomatoes by by a trellis putting a trellis in or something and staking corner to corner so we get them to grow up uh, yes. and grow down so you have a bit of fun get them to train and 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 uh it's a fantastic product now where can people get hold of this do they come to you or is it available nationwide so we are available nationwide so we, we've just now been stocked with dobbies and also blue diamond and a few um independents now uh, but we have a stockist online so please go out and support our our stockists and also we sell directly ourselves uh, and we can post okay so where can people find you online uh veggie pod so v-e-g-e-p-o-d.co.uk okay that's easy enough and are you on any of the social media sites yes yeah, so we've got a really good um instagram account um veggie pod uh, uk and same with facebook we have a really big global presence as well um over fifteen thousand on each and the most organic part on the pun is a, a group called VeggiePod Owners. Like it suggests, it is a group of owners that have VeggiePods from around the world, and they're literally created their own community where they're sharing and supporting 
um, generally helping each other um, and the good, the bad and the ugly about what they're growing. Um, you get some, well, we, we, one lady um, grew asparagus and it went so well that she couldn't get into her irrigation because all the roots went down and basically destroyed it. So that was a really interesting and fun one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good organic um, community. Sounds fantastic. Well, Neil, thanks very much for your time. Really good to speak to you. Thank you. No problem. Now, you can't grow great veggies without great compost. So my final visit of the day was to see a product not unfamiliar with me, but I wanted to find out just why this composting system works so well. I'm with Cheryl from Hotbin Composting. Morning, Cheryl. Hello there. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, Cheryl, I'm aware of these compost bins. A customer of mine has one and she guards it with her life you know she nurtures it and looks after it has it got a name i don't know probably yeah i'll ask her about that um now tell me what's so special about this hot bin composter okay so the hot bin is basically a hot composting bin which allows you to put more food and garden waste into your bin because it gets so hot so typically it reaches temperatures about 40 to 60 degrees centigrade, um, which means that not only can you compost all your regular garden waste, so you know, grass clippings and prunings, um, along with vegetable waste, but you can also compost things like cooked food, um, small bones, uh, pet waste, um, so a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily add to in a traditional pile. Yeah, all the sort of thing that some of us will put in the, in the, the waste bin, it'll be taken off to be composted by the council. Absolutely. Yeah. So we say with the hot bin, obviously with that kind of unit, it takes away the need for such collections. Um, you know, so you're creating your own cycle in your garden, if you like, you know, whereas you're not wasting any of your waste, you're recycling into compost, which you can then use on your garden to grow veg or, you know, help enrich the soil in your garden. So that's yeah. I'll just describe this... Uh unit well, I don't know what I call it it's beast um, what is it about three three and a half foot tall it's uh, it looks like sort of a, a typical black uh, wheelie bin doesn't it's it in, yeah size, in yes. some ways um, but there's a thermometer on top there's obviously a lid here there's a little flap that looks like it opens and closes to just to fine-tune the heat inside what why does this work so much better than anything else that uh, most of us will have? So it's literally down to the insulation. So it's manufactured from a material called expanded polypropylene, which is actually um, it's a, it's a type of insulating foam. And they will commonly use it in the automotive industry for impact protection, but it has very good insulation properties and it's fully recyclable. So basically when you're adding your waste into the bin, um, there's a natural population of bacteria, which you know, as they break down the waste, they produce heat as a byproduct. And this literally insulates all that waste. Um, so it allows it to get super hot inside so it's, it's like a big thermos flask almost and that's how it gets so hot what sort of temperatures are we talking so we're talking about 40 to 60 degrees centigrade at its upper limit yes. um, which is I say it is hot enough to kill off things like perennial weeds and seeds and it's fine to add in things like cooked food waste yeah the, the problem I always see with compost bins is um, people often surround them with chicken wire yeah. to so say allow uh, aeration let the air get in but in my experience the the outer area is the area that then doesn't compost because of that i think it, it lets the heat out rather than keeps it in so yeah i say it's all down to the insulation but as far as air goes obviously it is important to get oxygen into a pile yes because this is aerobic not anaerobic isn't it, it? Is, that's right very, yes. yeah, very, yeah so what we do with the hot bins we say to people add in woody materials so things like wood chip or hard woody prunings and you add that in with your waste every time you add waste um, along with shredded paper to stop it getting too wet but what happens is that you end up with a structure of air pockets through the bin um, and then the bottom of the bin air gets drawn in, in via that small little mesh yes 
comes up through the unit through all those air pockets that you've created which allows bacteria to be fed with oxygen and then out through the top via the valve and that's how we get air into the bin which means that you don't have to you know backbreaking effort of turning all the pile and you know all that hard work of doing that and the advantage of all this heat of course is that it produces compost far quicker than, than your traditional methods. It does, yeah. So you'd be looking, typically, obviously, it depends on what kind of materials that you're putting in the bin, but typically, on average, you'd be looking at a mulching compost in about 30 days um, and then, a, like, a richer, finer compost in about 90. But what you'll end up with is a really rich, sticky compost that is, um, like, rich in, rich in like hummus. So yes. it's nice Now, stuff. there's another use for these bins that you may or may not know about. I don't know if you do the cooking in your house. Have you ever cooked in one? We, we, if you look on Instagram, you will find a small um, uh, test of us cooking an egg. It took us the best part of a day to cook it. Um, but yes, we do know that some of our customers have cooked um, a whole side of salmon in there before. Yes. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to it's a hay, haystack cooking or something. Yeah, or, yeah. I think so. Um, or, or, all the modern chefs are using sous vide, aren't they? Yeah. Where, where it's uh, cooked in a plastic bag in water. Yeah. Well, I'm not the only one then because I've cooked eggs. <laughs> I've yeah. cooked trout in it. Um, it seems strange uh, putting them in there, you know, but uh, if, as long as they're in a bag, they're well protected. Um, and I'm sure there are other uh, health issues you have to be aware of when you're cooking things like that in there. But, uh, yeah, I think you need to also market it as a mobile slow cooker. Yes. <laughs> very slow cooker. <laughs> Cheryl, thanks for your time. You're very welcome. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone exhibiting for a fantastic day. Thank you to the Garden Press event for arranging such a great show. And thank you to the Garden Media Guild for being so welcoming to a new member. That's me. That's it for this episode. In the next episode, I hope to supply you with enough information to write a thesis on gardening with butterflies. And in the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your journey on the circle line not be at rush hour, and may your box be free of blight. I'll see you next time.